Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Tuesday, April 13th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Researchers have found a methane-eating bacteria living in a common species of Australian tree. The UK is considering a legal right to disconnect for remote workers. Archaeologists in Saudi Arabia have uncovered evidence of the oldest domesticated dog in that region in what could be the beginning of huge insights about the development of human society across the Middle East. Uber just had their biggest month ever in a sign that certain businesses might not have much trouble bouncing back from last year's losses. And what happens if a shark bites your arm off after you get your COVID vaccine? Do you have to get another dose? Dr. Akiko Iwasaki has the answer. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Researchers have discovered methane-eating bacteria living in a common Australian tree species known as the paperbark. Now, of course, anything that reduces methane is great, but one thing that I didn't realize is that trees themselves actually emit quite a bit of methane. As the researchers noted in the conversation, methane is a greenhouse gas that is 45 times more potent at warming the earth than carbon dioxide is. And recent research has shown evidence that methane gas emissions from trees, so-called treethane, accounts for 50% of all methane emissions in the tropical Amazon basin, the world's largest natural source of methane. And the wild thing is, this tree thing was first documented all the way back in 1907, but it wasn't until 2018 that further research was conducted and the situation started to be taken seriously. There are now studies being done all over the world, and in Australia, they've found that some of their subtropical forests emit methane at rates similar to that of the Amazon basin. All this treethane, which is not yet its own emissions category, usually comes from underlying soils, but some come directly from the tree stems, most likely originating from microbes living in the trees. So the researchers who published their findings last week in the journal Nature were studying the microbial communities in trees when they hit on this huge finding. Quoting their write-up in the conversation, We discovered the bark of paperbark trees provide a unique home for methane-oxidizing bacteria, bacteria that consumes methane and turns it into carbon dioxide, a far less potent greenhouse gas. Remarkably, these bacteria made up 25% of total microbial communities living in the bark, and were consuming around 36% of the tree's methane. It appears these microbes make an easy living in the dark, moist, and methane-rich environments. This discovery will revolutionize the way in which we view methane-emitting trees and the novel microbes living within them. Only through understanding why, how, which, when, and where trees emit the most methane may we more effectively plant forests that effectively draw down carbon dioxide while avoiding unwanted methane emissions. Our discovery that bark-dwelling microbes can mitigate substantial treethane emissions complicates this equation, but provides some reassurance that microbiomes have evolved within trees to consume methane as well. End quote. Going forward, they want to examine the microbial communities of other forests with strong methane emissions, and they offer a reminder, just because trees emit more methane than a lot of us realize, they still take in tons of carbon dioxide, typically far more than the methane they emit. 
But as they said, knowing which trees are heavy methane emitters is important as there are so many initiatives to plant new trees now. We may want to make sure we're planting ones that don't emit so much methane. And maybe this bacteria can somehow be used to combat the problem where it already exists. Because an important note is that dead and dying trees can emit methane too, sometimes much more when they are dead. So just cutting down the methane emitting ones won't exactly work as a solution. Rather, deforestation initiatives should focus on planting trees that emit less methane from the get-go. While some people can't wait to get back to the office, large numbers of folks have discovered they love the flexibility and comfort of working from home. A number of businesses have also realized they can function perfectly well remotely and decided to cut the huge expenditure of an office building. But one thing remote working has done is exacerbate an issue that was already growing in certain types of workforces, coworkers and bosses contacting you whenever, wherever. Email and later apps like Slack were already eroding the idea of clocking out for many jobs, but when you went into an office and then went home, your coworkers at least knew you were at home and that they were cutting into your personal time even if they didn't necessarily respect that. When all work happens from the home, there's not as clear of a barrier. It's tough to set boundaries and find a work-life balance on an individual scale, but some workplaces make it next to impossible if they don't set that standard themselves or uphold it. Well, some nations and organizations are hoping to write those boundaries into law. Prospect, a science and tech union in the United Kingdom, has urged members of parliament to give employees a legal right to disconnect. Something polling indicates two-thirds of people currently working remotely in the UK support, regardless of political affiliation. Other findings from the poll, conducted by strategic insight agency Opinium, include, quote, About 35% of remote workers also said their work-related mental health had worsened during the pandemic, while 30% said they were working more unpaid hours than before, with 18% reporting at least four unadditional unpaid hours a week, end quote. Andrew Wakes, the Union Prospects Research Director, remarked that for a lot of people, it hasn't so much been working from home as sleeping in the office. Ireland has already introduced a right-to-disconnect law that means employees will not have to routinely work outside of their established hours, and Canada is also considering a similar initiative. Meanwhile, in the U.S., one of our biggest companies, Google, has just announced their plans for handling employees' return to the office, saying that after September 1st, any employees who want to work remotely for more than 14 additional days a year, on top of the two work-from-home days they're permitted a week, they will have to apply for it first. This is in contrast to Facebook and Twitter, who are allowing office workers to work remotely indefinitely. Back in the United Kingdom, Parliament is currently at work on an overdue employment bill, and the union prospect sees this as a big opportunity to, as Wakes says, redraw the blurred boundary between home and work. A spokesperson for the Department for Business, Energy, and Industrial Strategy also said, quote, The employment bill, when introduced, will deliver the largest upgrade to workers' rights in a generation, including measures that will help people to balance work with their personal lives, end quote. Which echoes the sentiment in Ireland, and among many of us, I'm sure, that for all of the negative tragedy that the pandemic has wrought, it also offers an opportunity now to re-examine so many aspects of our lives and make changes for a better future.
A groundbreaking archaeological discovery has been made in northwest Saudi Arabia that, among other things, presents the earliest evidence of the domestication of dogs in the Arabian Peninsula. Conducting the excavation in one of the earliest monumental tombs in the region in Al-Ula, the researchers found the dog's bones in a burial site, a site that is thought to have been used as early as 4300 BCE, making the dog the earliest domesticated one found in the Arabian Peninsula by about a thousand years. Quoting Alert. The project team, with Saudi and international members, focused its efforts on two above-ground burial sites dating to the 5th and 4th millennia BCE and located 130 kilometers apart, one in volcanic uplands and the other in arid badlands. The sites were above-ground, which is unique for that period of Arabian history, and were positioned for maximum visibility. The research team detected the sites by using satellite imagery and then by aerial photography from a helicopter. Ground field work began in late 2018. It was in the volcanic upland site that 26 fragments of a single dog's bones were found, alongside with bones from 11 humans, 6 adults, an adolescent, and 4 children. The dog's bones showed signs of arthritis, which suggests the animal lived with the humans into its middle or old age. End quote. In other words, it was a well-loved doggo who lived a happy and long life with its humans. The dog may also have been a hunter, since rock art in the region shows people using dogs while hunting ibex. Other findings from the monumental tombs include a leaf-shaped mother-of-pearl pendant and a carnelian bead. They expect to find much more in the future, as several surveys are currently being funded in the previously largely unexplored Al-Ula region. Overall, the monumental tombs, which evidence shows were used for burials for at least 600 years, indicates that inhabitants may have had a shared memory and connection between them. Melissa Kennedy, assistant director of the Aerial Archaeology in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia Al-Ula project, said, quote, What we are finding will revolutionize how we view periods like the Neolithic in the Middle East. To have that kind of memory, that people may have known for hundreds of years where their kin was buried, that's unheard of in this period in this region. End quote. So I was listening yesterday to the latest episode of the Dubious Advice podcast, Dear Hank and John, and a listener sent in this hypothetical question, quote, if I got the COVID vaccine, let's say the Johnson & Johnson one, and then a baby beluga whale jumped out of the sea and bit my arm off, would I need another vaccine? How long would I have to wait to get my arm cut off by a baby beluga whale before the vaccine would be all in my system? End quote. And a quick note, I don't think this listener actually wrote Baby Beluga Whale in their question. That was an inside joke on the podcast episode. The listener probably said something like shark, since beluga whales don't really attack humans. But the question still remains. If you lose the arm you got the vaccine shot in, do you need to get another dose? How long does it take for the vaccine to spread throughout your body beyond just the injection site? An unlikely scenario, to be sure, but surprisingly, co-host Hank Green immediately had the answer thanks to superstar Yale professor Akiko Iwasaki. When she was a grad student, Iwasaki actually studied something similar, and recently re-upped that research in response to someone else's hypothetical question on Twitter. That person was also curious what would happen if a shark bit your arm off shortly after receiving your vaccine. Apparently it's a pressing question these days. 
Iwasaki wrote in response on Twitter, quote, We found that removal of the muscle bundle after 10 minutes of vaccine inoculation did not affect antibody responses. Mind you, this was in mice using a DNA vaccine and surgery, not shark. End quote. And as Green explained more about the study, within that 10 minutes, really almost immediately, the vaccine is able to get to the lymph nodes and activate the immune system. So it could be different with an mRNA vaccine like Pfizer or Moderna, or, you know, also in humans, and you probably should take great care to avoid situations where you may get attacked by a shark within a few seconds of receiving your vaccine dose. But overall, very reassuring news here for a very common problem. So Uber just had their biggest month of bookings ever since they were founded in 2009, representing a trend I think we're going to keep seeing across various industries. In contrast to the huge dips last year as most industries shut down, many businesses that managed to weather the storm will be seeing a huge resurgence as people get vaccinated and places open up. And I think especially in travel, dining, and entertainment, people are chomping at the bits to have experiences they've only been dreaming about for the past year. In Uber's case, it doesn't come without the kind of growing pain, however. They're having trouble meeting demand with enough drivers. Airbnb and Verbo are also apparently experiencing a similar situation with lodging completely sold out in many locations. As Rafat Ali pointed out on Twitter, will this mean that they'll work to increase inventory, or are we just going to see some wild, like, surge pricing? If you are looking to take any trips in the coming months, I recommend booking now. Whether it's airfare, rental cars, hotels, or short-term rentals, it is all filling up quick. And I do have to say, at least in the case of Uber and other ride services, I think this is also a sign that while people are cautiously resuming some of their activities or going back to work, a lot of them aren't yet ready to resume their commute on public transportation. Now, this is mostly an anecdotal observation with a strong bias of living in New York City, but man, when I went to get my vaccine, there was this huge line of people gathered outside one exit of the building, and I thought at first it was the line to check in, but then I realized it was people waiting for car services. I can all but guarantee at least like 80% of those people would have been taking the subway before the pandemic. So it'll be interesting to see if and how this levels out and what it means for other forms of transportation going forward. Oh, and for Airbnb's part, they are at least trying to be moderately proactive by launching their Summer of Responsible Travel, which in part bans parties and offers increased support for hosts and neighbors. Like so much of the last year, companies are having to think about the long term here, knowing that being responsible will ultimately help them stay afloat and maintain their reputation, even though it could be tempting to go hog wild in order to quickly make up lost revenue from 2020. By all accounts, however, they're not going to have trouble with that regardless. But anyways, that's it for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.